everyone, and welcome to our podcast, Clear as Mud, where we talk to game developers from all walks of life about their personal and professional journeys. I'm your host, Graham Waldrop. As always, our show is presented by Mudstack, the only asset management and collaboration tool custom-built for game studios and digital artists. For more information, head over to mudstack.com. Today, we're talking with Jamal Coleman, lead VFX artist at Lightforge Games. Jamal takes us through some highlights of his career, including working at Blizzard on World of Warcraft. We then try something new to the show where I pitch a game idea to Jamal and ask him to break down how he would approach the game through each phase of development from a visual effects standpoint. This is a lot of fun to get some perspective on how Jamal works on his own and with other developers across departments. I think you're really going to enjoy this one. And without further ado, here's Jamal Coleman. It's going to be a weird question. What's the thing that sort of annoys you the most working in visual effects right now from like a technical standpoint? The first question I always ask when joining a project is, what's the min spec? What, like what target are we trying to hit? Mm-hmm. I've worked on so many projects now. I'm at my seventh studio, uh, <laughs> so I've hopped around a lot. How many years? A little over 10. Um, I think I'm in my 10th year right now. Yeah, I started in 2012 early 2012 at Turbine. Yeah, I would say just like, what are we aiming for? Um, A lot of studios, a lot of projects that I've worked at tend to aim like really high, especially in the beginning. And they end up just racking up the tech debt. When I joined Proletariat, actually, not to throw anyone there under the bus, um, Damon's an awesome art director. He created some like gorgeous stuff. But the first thing I did, I had a lot of uh, experience in performance optimization. That's the that's the first question I started asking. I noticed the the environment team was like doing a lot of performance passes because we were about to ship on Switch. Uh, and I started asking the same questions to the art director and then the uh, person who ended up taking lead. Um, so yeah, I I think it's I think it's really, really important to just keep that in mind. Um, however it's it's always like a balance of how do you make sure that you're not killing momentum while also staying technically responsible. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, I think that's a, it's a tricky thing, scope creep, because I think at the beginning, coming to the table with a ton of ideas is great, right? I'd rather have a lot more ideas than, than too few ideas. And once you get going, that whole vision should be scoped down to the point where it's like, okay, we can do this with, with the team we have. It's a tough thing to really nail down. There's, really, there's not like a, a great answer for it. But the team has to know at some point what is the actual scope of this game. They can't, they can't exceed it. Yeah, absolutely. I'm also a big proponent of uh, helping artists understand what uh, affects performance. Um, when I was at Big Huge Games, I was one of the only, me and one other guy who were really like the technical, technically minded artists. And there was not a lot of communication happening before I got there with the engineering department. And just making sure you're talking to your graphics engineer saying, hey, what's the problem here? Do we have perf reports? Uh, how are we even doing on our min spec? Um, so that we don't completely bloat, especially these days when there's so many awesome features you can throw in. We have grass in our game that the art director was recently asking uh, just today, like, hey, why do we pull this out again? And I wasn't involved in that decision, but I was like, Pro- probably performance. Um, it's probably something we just need to revisit depending on what our min spec is. That was the funniest thing to me in school. Um, we were doing a big, big like senior project. And we worked on it for nine months, and we had it was a big three D RPG game, and uh, we we definitely did not do a good job with scope creep. <laughs> and uh, we brought in all these animators, but they were from film animation, and they didn't get that 
you know, make, make these rigs for the game engine. We were using unity and they were like putting all these bones in there. They, they were like, they were making characters, they were making rigs for film. And it was just it, like the performance was just so awful. And it was like, Oh my God, these guys don't know what they're doing. And it wasn't really their fault, but um, we had, we did explain like, Hey, this is, this is a game engine. This isn't, you aren't, you aren't just doing this in Maya, you know? Yeah, we're real time. Yeah, like uh, things have to be performant. Can you give a more specific example of something like that happening in the past? Yeah, I was at uh, uh, when I when I joined Big Huge Games. We were working on this game. Uh, it ended up getting canceled, unfortunately, after soft launch. Uh, but our min spec was something like uh, our iOS min spec was it was a mobile game, so it was all two D sprites. It was kind of done like Clash of Clans, uh, kind of like similar to their pipeline. Nothing was 3D in it. Yeah, I, I started asking the questions of, you know, how are we doing on our mint spec? And no no one on the art team knew. Uh, the art director, he came to me and he was like, hey, since you're asking these questions, do you mind just interfacing with with engineering? And that's kind of where I, where I learned a lot about performance optimization and like what we need to do. Uh, I, I connected with this amazing uh, engineer, JT, and, and he... Uh, God, I bugged him so much multiple times a day. I had him just like explain to me like I was five, just like what exactly does transparency do uh, and how is it rendered? What do we need to do? Because that was our major problem. All the sprites were rendered on transparency to get better edges. Um, and that was a big no-no, especially. Crush for... performance, I'm, I'm guessing. <laughs> oh, it was it was awful. So we, we, we did a lot to uh, optimize that and, uh, a few other things, making sure that that environment assets were were all batching uh, in the same draw call. Um, uh, yeah, putting, getting things on texture atlases so that we could use the same material, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did the same thing with effects. I was the only effects artist there, so I I managed that whole pipeline and made sure that it was the most optimized. It was a lot of learning. It was a lot of kind of going back and forth and finding out what we needed and. Uh, and also how to like push the current assets we had, sharing everything and making. I had like one uh, VFX texture asset that I that Atlas that I used for like almost everything in the game, and I I added like piecemeal to it, but I was always afraid to add to it because I didn't want to fill it up completely. So I always left a little bit of space. That was my one of my most proudest like technical achievements. Just like we we went from. I think the FPS was somewhere around like 12 FPS, and by the time we were all done, and it was a collaborative effort, I'm not I'm not saying it was all 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 me. Um, I had a large part to play on the art side. Um, the art director did all the UI optimization, worked with engineers there too. But by the end, we we got it to 30 FPS, which is the goal. Wow, and that's on that's on iPhone iPhone six. Yeah, it was an iPhone six. I think we had like a Galaxy S what S seven or something like it was something pretty old for the time even. So. Yeah, so that must have been that must have been going from like not the best pipeline in the world to a much better one. What do you think makes like a well-defined pipeline from a VFX standpoint? Um, that's a good question. Setting early the the goals of the project, uh, the like the naming conventions, the what are we going to be using, what are we building for, how much is going to be shared. I'm I'm going through that right now. I'm I'm I just joined Lightforge and I'm going through. There's a lot of like. You know the third-party store assets that they were using to like build stuff up before I got there because I'm the I'm the first effects artist there, and I'm going through and just cleaning house. Um, 
I don't want anything in there that's that's a store asset so that I know exactly how it's built and I'm building it with my specific uh, um, project goals in mind, um, setting up material functions, how I like them, how I like them to be used in the most general way. Um, and also the textures and like more of a shared capacity. It's, it's something I learned on uh, working on Smite at Hi-Res, my, my effects lead there. It was awesome. It was a pretty robust system by I'm, when I had joined. It was right before launch when I joined. Um, but there was a big shared library that the artists were encouraged to use. Uh, I was mid-level there, so I was kind of like, he taught me a lot that I still use to this day. Not necessarily in terms of performance, more in terms of uh, pipeline and, and just making sure that things are set up. And then from like an organizational standpoint, how are you, like if you're setting up that that pipeline, how are you making sure everybody knows what's going on? And are you like collaborating with people on the pipeline's creation in and of itself? Yeah, there's a lot of collaboration. Um, it's something that I'm, it's a, it's a, it's, it's funny you ask that because it's dealing with that today and the past week. I'm going through these third-party assets and trying to clean house, and I'm noticing like environment is using stuff from these random effects packs, and I mean that's going to be common when you're putting things together in like an early phase of a game. Um, but all all of the art leads are kind of aligning on like, okay, how how should we use this going forward? What are our common uh, naming conventions so that we know what is being used for effects or environment. Um, I kind of go with the mindset of I don't want any other department using anything from effects because things might change. I have I might have a noise you know a noise texture one two three, but maybe later down the line I decide to channel pack them, and if I do that, the RGB channels end up changing, and whatever environment is using them for ends up breaking. So I'm like I, I want to make sure that. Any of that stuff is is uh, solely designed for effects and not really being used. Um, yeah, but but yeah, there's a lot of collaboration between design and also uh, production has a huge huge role in terms of making sure everyone's on the same page and and making sure that we are uh, communicating effectively and and planning effectively, prioritizing as well. Yeah, and I I gotta think too that you have to be working with, you know, technical artists and, and the engineering team as well. What's that like with sort of the cross-departmental communication? How often are you guys talking? Because you're, you're all remote, right, at Lightforge? Yeah, Lightforge is a fully remote studio. Um, we don't actually don't have a studio, which is kind of awesome. It's one of the things that attracted me to them. I feel like uh, it's like almost like a company of the future. It's like we they, they got established, I think it was a couple of years ago, like when the pandemic hit right before so they had to make make some decisions as far as i understand uh the history of the studio um but yeah it's it's a it's a awesome studio we are all remote and we also are all asynchronous as well so we have people working on other sides of the globe um so people in japan and in europe um and all along the u.s as well we we rely heavily on uh, this app called Notion, which is... Oh, yeah, we use Notion. We love Notion. Notion is so good, especially coming from Confluence. I'm like, oh, this is so easy. It's, it's like the emotional rescue from Confluence. Confluence is a nightmare. Notion... <laughs> yeah. You can do pretty much anything, everything on Notion that you that you absolutely need to have from like Confluence and Jira combined. Like Jira is a bloated mess to me. It's like no, Notion is yeah, like yeah. the perfect... Uh, is one of the better organizational apps i've ever used i'm not i'm not related to notion at all but we we are a customer at mudstack so yeah yeah we I, I found out about it when i when i joined the studio and i've been really happy it's it's helped collaboration a lot um 
we have uh, one of our one of our founders, uh, Dan, is is kind of our Notion guru, and he he uh, set up a system that just is really really well organized. All of our meeting notes are in there. It's easy to collaborate. Um, our specs, our, our our design docs, our VFX uh, style guides, art style guides. It's all it's all in there. So that that helps us collaborate really well, especially at this like asynchronous. Um, uh, style so you're not you're not any slack messages that we get like you're not expected to to like jump at them whenever you get them because people in europe might be sending them you know at your like 2 a.m right that's cool because that, that's still going to be tough though to be able to make sure everybody's on the same page when you're working remote two you're in you know sometimes completely different time zones i think it poses a huge collaboration uh struggle but it's not it's one that we like gladly face uh, as a company well, like it's known that yeah, asynchronous is not like as easy as being in a studio, all like jumping in together, working next to each other. Uh, but this is like the way of the future, you know. Like I think more studios are going to go towards this model, especially over the pandemic, having to be remote. I have moved, so I have I have little kids. Uh, my oldest is in fourth grade. He's been in five school districts already because I I. I would move around from company to company. I worked for a lot of a lot of startups that that didn't have the most success, and so I kind of like jumped around a bunch in my early career. And if if this was the case five years ago, then he, you know, we we'd stay in one place, and he'd be, he'd be able to benefit from not not moving around. So, yeah, it's I I love the flexibility. People always ask me like, "Are you in the military?" I'm like, "No, no, I'm, <laughs> I'm just a <laughs> just a game dev." So. That's the thing I really like now, some, uh, I guess a gift from the pandemic is that it seems like there's a good number of new studios uh, being born, right? That are comprised of all these AAA veterans. Um, you know, Lightforge for you guys, Crop Circle Games is another uh, company that has a lot of, um, a lot of tri- you know, AAA developers that were that big companies like Naughty Dog and things like that have come together to make a new remote studio. And I'm really excited to see what these, you know, what you guys and what they do and others create because you're right, this is a new way of working and uh, it's being embraced. And it's also giving people the freedom, I think, to kind of live their lives on their own terms, still do what they love, but do it in almost a less pressure-filled environment. But it's a lot of really talented people coming together to to work on the stuff they love to do. Yeah, totally. There, there are a lot of studios, I think, still struggling with during the pandemic, no one was moving, but they still had to hire. So studios like like Blizzard and Riot and Proletariat, when I started there, it was during the pandemic, kind of the, the height of the pandemic. And the, the plan was like, no, we are going to return to studio. So I had to move back to Boston, where my wife's family is originally from. But um, we were in Maryland at the time for another studio for big, huge games. And I, 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 I quit there and I went to Proletariat. And the deal was like, move back. If, I think if it had been like two or three months later, I would have just stayed in Maryland. I'd probably be there today. Uh, probably have bought a house during the pandemic. Um, but it was like this instability of like, well, will I be able to find studios? And that's why we moved to Southern California too. I, I ended up leaving Proletariat after a little bit less than a year. And um, I went to Blizzard. Uh, and the the idea there was too, like we're going to be returning hybrid. Meanwhile, they're 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 hiring people that are remote that are kind of negotiating this like fully remote. All these studios are. And then they're faced with the problem of, do we force everybody to come to our like million dollar campus or do we let them have the freedom to work remotely? Cause ideal, the, the old standard was let's work and collaborate in person. So it's cause that's just easier. 
And I think it is way easier. You have to actually put in a good deal of effort to make remote work and then also more effort to make like something like asynchronous work. I don't, I don't think it's that hard. And I think Lightforge is proving that it's totally possible. And I, I have, I have a lot of confidence it will be the new standard in, in a few years. Um, you know, it's a new challenge, but it's not insurmountable. And it really, I think creates a much better work-life balance. I have a hard time, I think with the remote work style, because I, I do like being around people. Like that's the biggest thing that I kind of miss from, from having an office and being able to collaborate with people in person, but there are a ton of benefits. And you know, if it, if it makes people's lives easier and you don't have to commute, like if you live in Southern California, you know how bad the traffic is there. I live in Atlanta. The traffic's oh, yeah. not as bad, but pretty damn close. Uh, there's just so many benefits, especially if you're a parent as well. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask about Blizzard. Our, our CEO Jordan is a huge Blizzard fan. Um, anything at Blizzard that you're super proud of? Something that that you worked on a specific title that you can you can really hang your hat on and be like, that was that was really good. We did really good work there. Yeah, you know, I worked on two projects when I was there. Um, I worked on ArcLight Rumble. Um, which had a different internal name, so I'm trying to train myself to use that name. And I also, I, I left after about a year to work on World of Warcraft. Um, both projects filled with like amazing people, excellent artists, uh, really easy to collaborate. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm proud of, I'm proud of both projects. I, I worked on, as right as Dragonflight was like starting to ramp up in terms of effects. So yeah, I'm really proud of the work we did there. I, had the pleasure of working under Sarah Carmody, who I've admired uh, her work for a long time in VFX circles. Um, she's incredible. Anyone that knows anything about effects probably has seen her work. Um, uh, and a, just an awesome team over there. And uh, yeah, Arclight Rumble was was a pleasure to work on too. I, I learned a lot um, from Thomas, the lead VFX artist over there. And uh it was cool to see how Blizzard was approaching mobile. Um, I, the game has been announced. It hasn't been like fully released yet, but um, I can't wait until it gets released so that I can uh, show off some of my work and also play the game because it was it was fun when I when I joined over there. But they add they've added a bunch of features that I'm I'm excited to see once it once it's uh, fully released. Cool. Is uh, is is there any pressure? that comes with working at a company like, like Blizzard or, or a title like World of Warcraft where there's just you know millions of fans and have very high expectations. They care very much about the, the world that's been created. Or is it just like, you know what, this is just, this is my job, I'm doing it, I'm not thinking about that stuff. You know, I, I think, I mean, yeah, there's a, an immense amount of pressure. I think just the whole studio is kind of structured in a way that like decisions do need to be made carefully. Um, it's not going to be as... Uh, rapid as some of the smaller studios that I've worked at. Um, it's I, I I was so proud to to work on any of those titles. I still am. It's cool when you see someone on the street and you're wearing you know your Blizzard hoodie or whatever, and and they comment. I, that happened that happened to me quite a few times, and it's nice to like meet people that are like really passionate about the game. From a from a cultural standpoint, what what's what's really important for you either at, at places that you worked that you enjoyed or. You know, maybe where you are now, or you know, even thinking ten years in the future. Um, what what is like the numero uno thing you're looking for when you're like, I'm 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 coming to work here. This is why I'm coming to work here. 
Because I, I imagine too, it's like I mean, there, there probably is an allure of like it's a cool product to work on, but it would it would suck if the <laughs> if the people you're working with uh, don't share your values or don't you don't jive with them. Um, so interested to hear your thoughts on that. I, I think you hit hit it on the head. Um, the number one thing I look for is just people fit. I've interviewed at many many studios, and it's kind of like the number one question that I have to ask now is uh, kind of like. <laughs> from working af- af- after uh, the Blizzard lawsuit and all that stuff and kind of being around while that was happening, um, the number one question I ask is like, what was your studio's reaction during that time? Because it's, it's going to be really telling um, to hear not only how they approached communicating, because any, anyone that thinks that anything that happened to Blizzard, you know, was it a year or two ago? Was it just last year? God. Yeah. Um, Anyone think that that's isolated to Blizzard is is super wrong. It's an industry problem, um, and it's it's something that the, the limelight got got shown on Blizzard during during what was going on. But uh, that's what I'm most interested in finding out is like how did people how did studios react? And I've gotten some really good answers. I've also gotten some like really really big red flags that I decided like not to pursue studios because of those answers. But it's it's the people. It's it's not only you know the 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 quality of, of of artists, but just yeah. Do I do I like working with these people? Can I see myself like collaborating with them easily? Um, are, are they kind? You know, like it's uh, I I've I've uh, I have no interest in any sort of like frat boy culture or or like e- big egos. Um, all the people I worked with at Blizzard just were the kindest. I mean. Sp- working Sarah's entire team, that entire effects team, it was really, really, really hard to decide to leave because I absolutely loved working with each one of them. Um, that's the number one thing I, 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 I look for in any team that I, that I join is, is are these people of, you know, good moral character and, and, and easy to collaborate with. And I, I found an amazing team at Lightforge. Um, they're all, they're all absolutely incredible people and super talented I kind of search for that home feeling, and that's what I found here too. So, so what, why did you leave Blizzard? The biggest thing that contributed to me leaving was the tools. Um, World of Warcraft is a is is a title that was in development. Uh, started development. I, if I have my history right, it started development in 20th century. <laughs> so, yeah. putting that into putting that into perspective, like the tool set has gotten better. Um, there have there have been improvements. Um, but for me, I really missed uh, working in like a really fresh modern tool set, frankly, with Unreal. I've worked in Unity. Uh, I've worked in a lot of proprietary engines. Um, but I really love the agility of Unreal. It's really designed for content creators. For VFX, it's unparalleled. I mean, especially now with the with a new uh, effect system with Niagara, it's... It's incredibly flexible. Um, I first started using Unreal at high res, and then I went to another company using Unity and kind of went back and forth through the projects. And Unity is very programmer-centric and not super artist-friendly. You can create beautiful art in both, but I think you just have less tools that you actually need um, in terms of in-engine with Unreal. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. We're getting to the portion of, of uh, the show where we're going to 
we're going to dive into the hypothetical. We're going to we're going to test Jamal's uh, test Jamal's resolve in a way. Can't really talk about what he's working on with uh, Lightforge. So what we're what we're going to do is sort of pose a, a hypothetical game to Jamal and talk, and then we're going to walk through like how he would start creating some effects for this game. So I have I had this idea for a game. If I ever go back to the industry, I'd like to try and make this. Um, but it's very much in the vein of kind of uh, a flower or journey. It's it's basically you play as a baby turtle. You're born. You're on you're on the sand. You, you crawl out your egg. You get in the sand. You avoid predators. You get into the water and um, yeah, at that point, it's sort of your life. You're you know dealing with the elements, with the current in the ocean. You're dealing with predators in the in the ocean, and uh, you sort of just follow this turtle's life, and you're and it's just totally in nature. It's kind of similar, I guess, to uh, Stray without the the, the robots and whatnot. Um, so if if I were to come to you with this with this project, right, and we're talking about okay, we're creating this fully immersive underwater 3D world, pretty lifelike. Where where would you where would you start with that in terms of um, especially just like movement in the water and the effects in the water and shaders and things like that? Where where are we starting here? All right. So the first question is: Are we in the water or are we outside the water? We start out. We start outside the water. That's sort of where the opening would be, and then we go into the start water. Outside. Yeah, and then we we go into the water, and then we don't really leave the water after that. Okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I'd say the water surface shader is probably going to be seen a lot. Um, I'd probably dive in and make sure that I'm aligned with the art direction. Um, the, the nice thing about effects is that it is there. I have an animator friend who I say, he hates this analogy too. I say like, if we're cooking a steak, like like everything that comes before, it's like the meat, I'm making the sauce. Like yeah. I need to make sure, <laughs> I, need, I need to make sure what we're making so that I can plus up the flavor. Yeah. Um, so I need to see the art style. I need to see... Uh, the game, uh, like if there's an ability system uh, or or what what the actual specs are, but in terms of the art, yeah, I would I would uh, I would probably. It sounds like you need some water splashes. You need a really good water surface shader. Um, probably need some sand effects mm-hmm. as well. Kind of yeah. like maybe those footprints or like some splashing around in the sand. Um, and then it's like the rest of the journey there is like what what is the turtle getting into, um, but yeah, I it's funny I have to do a water shader for our project and and I've been thinking a lot about it and thinking you know are we going more are we going more like realistic surface ripples and light reflection or are we gonna go something more towards Sea of Thieves which is like still illustrative but like very realistic movement. Um, I love that water shader. So I the fir- the first thing I like to do when when tackling a problem like making a new water shader is is just lo- like look at as much reference as I can, start building some mood boards, um, seeing what I like about certain types of things, and then and then going in and and starting to break it down. Yeah, it's good. This is actually like planning for a task I need to do. So this okay, is good. I'm glad, I could, I'm glad I could help you. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So let's say um, we're shooting for more realistic. We're shooting for very realistic, um, as realistic as we can get. We can say we're in Unreal, um, yeah. and and you have uh, how big's your VFX team for this for this uh, turtle game? Uh, starts off as one, as uh, one. Okay, but for for you yeah. guys right now, how how big's your VFX team? 
Also one. <laughs> also one. All right. So this is great. So yeah. we're starting off with uh, one. At, yeah. yeah, I'm actually, uh, the process, like we're in pre-production right now. So the process for, for deciding how big to build a team is I need to work heavily with design and with production to make sure that I understand the needs and the future needs going f- as far as possible. Like if we have an ability system, what are the specifics of that? And, and give me any environment needs that we have and um, trying to make that as modular as possible so that we can like kind of run with the effects. Yeah. Yeah. Reuse stuff. And mm-hmm. um, I, I mean, yeah, I, I, I do plan on growing my team either through outsourcing or through hires, internal hires. Um, there's so many awesome new effects artists coming, coming up uh, like through the VFX apprentice program and, people just learning on their own. Um, but also some really awesome outsourcing studios that are popping up too. So I got a lot of good options. Um, yeah, I, I, we're doing the exact same thing here, starting off small and then understanding where we have to grow. Right. So let's say I don't really have any, the turtle doesn't really have any abilities. It's sort of like a game of life and death. Do you get killed? Do you get killed? Sort of deal, which obviously changes the way the game's going to be designed. So you don't want people to get killed too early. And then I have to start all over again. <laughs> yeah. And that's sort of like a kind of insane decision in the first place. But I wouldn't anticipate it being any more than like a couple hours. Here's a question for you. You say yeah. kill. Whenever an effects artist hears the word kill, yeah. you gotta ask the question, what's very the excited. rating? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are we gonna are, are we gonna throw out turtle guts and, and blood, or do you want to keep this? I, th- I think we go we go okay. rated them for mature. We can get oil spills as well <laughs> off of uh off of ships like you know, if you, you get exposed to too much oil, that could damage you. Storms could create torrential currents, things like that. You could have, it'd be really cool to have like a dynamic, like uh, current system. All right. Now, now, now we're getting feature creep. This is good. <laughs> it's good, good, good to know what we have to plan for. And then we can decide what to cut later. Yeah. Yeah. No, if it's, if it's more realistic too, I, I find realistic stuff to be a bit easier just because we have, so much reference like if i i don't have to go online i i just go out you know to the ocean to see what the what the surface shader is doing there maybe i watch some gdc talks on on people building stuff like that um but my eye is like going out in nature taking hikes um taking pictures and even even uh, i've taken like photos of of cracks on the sidewalk before and use those in game Mm -hmm. so um usually it's with the stylized stuff you have to change it pretty drastically but um yeah the realistic stuff ends up uh not that it's easy but uh i find that to be like kind of an easier understood target right and then i like your research process too where you're going out and actually looking at stuff not just doing online and creating a mood board i always like creating mood boards for any any visual project I'm working on, mood boards, storyboards, et cetera, um, to define what the the art direction is going to be and things that we can actually reference, especially for something where you're dealing with like real life, uh, real life animals and things like that. Yeah. Uh, look, look up references. I mean, references for like the blood explosion of the, of the turtle. It's weird, right? Cause some people will be really, really offended to hear this stuff, but I love, I love seeing like the blood effects in game. I mean, if it's fake, it's fake. It's great. Right. Yeah. <laughs> My wife and I are watching stuff on, on TV and, and I'm always like, Oh man, that makeup looks so good. And she's like seeing, you know, a carcass being ripped open or something like that. And, right. and she's like, I can't watch this. And I'm like, but, but it looks great. Like this is great reference, <laughs> but I know it's, I know it's fake. I, I yeah. never want to see that kind of stuff in real life, but 
you know, the, the, the makeup, the makeup and, and, uh, you can at least admire the craft. <laughs> what other sort of, uh, effects are you looking for, for like some maybe of, uh, of the fish and, and whatnot, like schools of fish, sharks, things like that. Sort of more of the same with like references and, and, and mood boards and things like that. Or, or what are you, what are you starting to, to, to think about there? Uh, I, I start going to what does design intend to do with the fish? Like, do we have a mm-hmm. shark that poses a threat? Yes. That maybe has like a bite. Mm-hmm. And if they bite you, there's probably some, some like underwater blood effects, stuff, stuff like that. Um, you probably need to see like some bubbles if it rushes as well. Right. Uh, any, any fish that have any sort of like emissive qualities too. That's, that's more of a character thing though. Um, let's see what else. I mean, what it would just be kind of like brainstorming. What could the fish do if we're going more realistic? There's probably not like a bubble shield effect. Uh, no, that's where no. my head goes to. Of like we need to plan for that sort of thing. And that's another thing too. It would be like uh, you know a question for whoever would be designing this would be like, what sort of UI is there? What sort of UI is there? And how are we guiding the player through the vast ocean? <laughs> It'd be very easy to get lost. Um, yeah, you know potentially if you don't have a map or you don't have any way to sort of navigate like the 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 total you know completely realistic immersion that I'm talking about would probably be broken a little bit by just being able to not handhold the player, but give them enough to know where they're going, where, where effects are, are created in that sense. Do you have, do you have experience creating effects for, for things like that? Um, yeah, I've done some UI effects. Um, it's interesting when you say that stuff, I start to think like, what kind of screen overlays do we need also, which is just, it's going to indicate more information to the character of like, is your health low? Maybe if you're going to a zone that you shouldn't be, the screen starts to darken, you know, which would be kind of between a UI, I guess a UX. You'd want to like make sure to talk to your designers about that. Like maybe something, something like that starts to happen where your vision starts to go and then, then you blink out and you have to reload maybe in the, the playable area. Um, yeah, UI effects are really heavily used on mobile games. Uh, I have not done a whole lot of UI effects in in uh, Unreal. We actually had an amazing UI team at Proletariat who would do all their stuff in After Effects in terms of how it should look and how it should go. So we didn't the effects team didn't touch that at all. The engineers would go implement what they designed. As far as I understand it, I didn't have a play play in that, but uh, yeah, it depends on depends on the needs of the project. I'm I'm sure that there are people in Unreal doing UI effects. And in fact, we're going to have to do something like that too, but I just don't have uh, the experience of doing that in Unreal. Done it a lot in Unity though. Unity is like more geared towards mobile games. Uh, So mobile games have a lot of like kind of those dopamine effects. Like, hey, you open this chest, boom, this pretty magical sparkle to make you want to buy more chests or stuff like that. So there's, there's a lot of that. And then, and then at what point, right, if, we're, if we've gotten to this point where we you know, are starting to get a feel for, you know, we know the art direction, we have a decent idea of the design, like, um, and then I assume you're, you're probably figuring out what the pipeline is and things like that, working with, with uh, art team and, and the engineers and, and, and whatnot. When do we start seeing actual effects come into the game? Like, let's say we're still trying to find the fun of it in the sense that, you know, we're still prototyping, but we know what we want to make. Are you are you still trying to 
figure out the overall look and what you're, you know, with the, with the art team and, and figuring out the effects, or are you waiting for design to come up with a, with a good enough prototype you can, so you can start testing what you've been working on? What's, what's that process like? My job at this phase of development is to support design with whatever they need. Uh, so temporary effects for anything ability related, uh, or even, even environment related, like you can do first passes on that surface shader, maybe get something in. Um, I'm not opposed to buying assets from the asset store if it proves uh, useful to design as well. Just to like, before you have your pipeline started, you're not going to have a whole lot of time to make everything for them. Um, so I do like creating templates um, just so that they have something available. And then it's it's that, that that process helps out as well to kind of help define what the needs are of the project are as well. Because design is also trying to figure out do we need do we need a b and c or do right. we cut that or or do we need maybe a and then a1 a1 a2 a3 so um trying to figure out the needs of the project in that way is is definitely supporting design uh vfx usually doesn't get involved super early in the project um i have been able to get involved really early on a, at a couple of studios and the kind of work that i did there was more of a support role like i'm helping set up material standards and just like things for them to play around with um, different material functions to use as well um, i like being involved as early as possible but it, it can also be frustrating because i'm not like making the polished effects that i used to when, when you're working on an existing game especially something that's like live service something like smite or infinite crisis back in the day when i worked on that you're just you're just like you're getting a kit, you're getting requests from design of what you need to actually work on. You break all that down, and then you're like, okay, I'm going to work on this projectile, and this impact, and this cast, and this ultimate. And you know, you're planning your two weeks of of development like a, on your sprint, and that can be frustrating from like an early standpoint. That's why I also don't like bring. Um, that's why we're not bloating our team with extra VFX hires because I'm like, I, I, I need to clean up the house and make sure that I have exactly what I want you to be working on. Um, especially if it's like a, like an associate or mid-level candidate, like it's, it's easier from that standpoint to, to bring them on later on. Once, once things are, once your list of requests are in. We actually start transitioning into when you can actually do all the effects and whatnot, how, how collaborative uh, ideally would it be for you for, you know, either the, the game director or the designers or, or both or the art director to come in and really, you know, be more hands-on on what you're doing. Do you like to like get in your kitchen and cook for a minute and then show what you got? Or are you taking more notes from people uh, before you get started or is it a little bit of both? I don't believe in like gatekeeping um, the effects, like feedback process. I think anybody has valid opinions. We all, you know, any, anybody that, that, that has, seen or played a video game I th or, or not even just you know go to an art museum you can you can tell whether or not you like a painting right so um my wife is not an artist i get her feedback all the time um i like to be as collaborative as i can um what i don't like is being micromanaged i don't want to be don't want to be told like this is how you're going to be solving this particular problem from like before i even try to solve it uh, unless unless that's helpful in the process of like understanding how the pipeline is happening um 
Yeah, I, I, it depends on the art director. Some art directors want a want a heavy hand in effects, and because it impacts uh, other things. Uh, proletariat, you know, Damon was the one who set the standard for all the effects, um, so he jumped in and designed like exactly what he was looking for. It was a very specific, really awesome art direction. Um, uh, this other startup that I was at, um, you know, it, it, it was more about like keeping up with the the project demands to make sure we were meeting milestones and less so about like crafting a really, really careful vision. Um, but still obviously making art in the best fashion that we could. Um, yeah, I, I've, I, I'm flexible. I think my ideal is, is having autonomy and the, the trust, which I get a lot of trust here. Um, Glenn rain is the art director, um, at Lightforge, and he's awesome. He's, he's a great collaborator. Um, he's an amazing artist and he's, he's easy to collaborate with. Uh, he trusts that I, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't have a lot of effects experience. So he's, you know, he's, he's illustrated some awesome effects. Uh, and he, he supports me where, wherever I can and, um, has given me the autonomy to like kind of design the effects pipeline and the vision across the board. Um, I like to, even if he didn't ask me for it, I would want to make sure to get his, opinion and buy-in on like, you know, do you think that this is the right direction? Like here are some options and, and that's the kind of work that we've done. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a great, great pipeline to be in where I am right now. I've been in other departments where, where there was more, more micromanagement happening and just, especially if you're coming in as a senior, it, it's, it's hard to get that stuff like spoon fed to you. It's like, I just want to, I just want to go and start running and just start making stuff. Um, but different different teams operate differently, so it's just a matter of figuring out how to navigate the the style of direction as well. So, they're, they're, and that's an adjustment period. I like that answer too. It's like you have autonomy, but can still be can still be collaborative. Like I think as long as the you know definition for the project is pretty well realized at that point, in the sense of this is the art style, this is what we're going for. We kind of understand what we need to do, then. You know, that should set everybody up on uh, a visual side at, at a minimum to be able to go in and say, okay, we, we know where we're going to start. We know where we're going. We can work on this for a minute before we show it to anybody because, you know, we know what the project needs sort of deal. Yeah, and I, I also think different environments will be great for different people as well. Some people might, like, really need that uh, the more hands-on learning experience that I might interpret as micromanagement. Um, so that's all a perception thing, too. I like to tell people that, you know, I mean, a cactus will thrive in the desert, but it'll die in a swamp. So, you know, it's 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 like finding the environment that works for you that 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 you will thrive in is is the is the key. It's uh, at least for me, it is. I'll say we have like three years to work on this game. The, all the pre-production stuff got sort of at least solved to the point where we could get going about somewhere between three and six months. You know, we have two and a half years or so to to finish this game. What does that look like for you in terms of? in terms of like, you know, the iterative process of what you're creating. Um, what's the day-to-day like? Who are you talking to every day? Th- things like that. I think each year starts to look really different. The first year might be building up the project. I, I think that's the hardest time. Um, I mean, each phase of a project is different, but that first year is is building up and especially effects that comes at the, at the very end of a pipeline. Um the stress isn't necessarily at the beginning. It's like I'm kind of I'm there to support all of the art departments, 
in any way that I can for my strengths. Uh, and no, no two effects artists are created the same. So it's like some of my strengths are, you know, creating shaders and material functions and organization, performance. And some of that stuff is useful at the beginning of a project. A lot of it is useful at the end. Um, so I, I'm in more of like a support position, but also trying to plan as much as I can too. So whenever I can get a spare moment from the designers, I want to know, are we accounting for everything? And I'm, I'm talking to production a lot too and making sure that I have um, everything listed out as, as best as I can plan, plan it either in JIRA or Notion uh, or a combination of both. Um, but yeah, at year two is more like, you know, we, we start like really going forward with production and we're in the pipeline, we're, we're creating all the assets, we're doing probably more detailed art reviews, trying to get to that last like 80 to, to, to 100% is, is, uh, can take as much time as going from zero to 80. Uh, so year three ends up getting to the point where we're starting to panic of like, have we done enough? Uh, do we have, do we need to hire more outsourcers? Uh, is our, is our performance or we're, we're about to ship. So hopefully performance is something we've already talked about. Typically it's not typically that comes at the end and, and people either start panicking or, or delay stuff. I like to handle it as, as, as early as possible so that we don't have that panic, but sometimes it's inevitable as well. And then the last year is just making sure every, everything is buttoned up and, and, and good to go, uh, which is often super chaotic, especially for VFX. Usually design ends up creating stuff to like the last minute, right? So you need to work with production to make sure that it has to be like a really, really important ask for design to add something super late. And then do we have enough time to actually implement it and, and test it and, and ship it? So that's the balancing act for effects usually comes at the very end. What about QA in terms of them giving feedback to the work that you're doing uh, I feel like that's something that's not really discussed. When we think of QA, we think of like compliances and gameplay and things like that. But I don't, I don't hear a lot about, you know, QA giving feedback on, oh, this effect looks good, this doesn't, blah, blah, blah. How, how involved is QA in, what, in the work that you do? I think a QA is super important. I mean, I treat them as our player base, especially at the beginning, right? So you want QA are tied into the gameplay experience they're the ones testing it every day they have way more experience than i do actually playing the game uh if if i'm making an effect that they're looking at and they're like this is just weird i mean sometimes uh especially since qa is not usually roped into art reviews and stuff like that they may not have the language uh to put it into terms like that you would in an art review of, you know, the, the focal point here or, or the timing and try to figure out like why it looks weird. But if I'm getting a big flag from, from anybody in QA that like, Hey, this, you know, water tornado looks weird. It just, I, I will want to like sit down with them and I'll like, like try to dig out like, why do you think it looks weird? Like what, 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 what makes this water tornado different than the other water tornadoes in, in, you know, the, uh, the other fish games and, and turtle games that, that we're competing against. So <laughs> yeah. I, or, or maybe that, or maybe it's just a red flag to be like, okay, I uh, will take a look at it. Usually the feedback that I've gotten from QA is like, uh, obviously if, if things are broken, which is super valuable as well, 
But if things are just not working for like the gameplay experience of like, hey, this this hit lingers and lasts for way too long, uh, that's great feedback. I'm like, oh, okay, I should make it snappier or I should make it more readable. It's usually like from the player experience because what I have found is that it is, I mean, the hardest people on on VFX are going to be the VFX artists. I'm, I, I see stuff that I'm like, oh, I hate that thing that I shipped. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife looks at it and she's like, it looks really good though. Like what's wrong? Like it, it delivers everything you need. And then I point it out and she's like, oh yeah, I don't, I don't think anyone's going to care about that. So, <laughs> so it's uh, usually um, in, in general with QA, I think uh, it goes to what I was saying before is that I really tried not to gatekeep anyone's feedback because everybody's opinion should be valid. Uh, there might be some education that I need to provide in terms of like, yeah, we, we, we tackled this problem a certain way because of uh, A, B, or C. And that's usually a conversation just of making sure that they understand like why it may be broken that way, um, if it's intentional. But more than not, more often than not, if it's not intentional, it's, it's always good to have that extra feedback. Do you think QA could be involved earlier or there could be more like kind of specialty QA people almost in a sense where they, they specialize in a very specific part of, of the game. Like you have your functional testers already, but you could also say we're just going to have like a QA artist team or something like that. Do you think that's, that would help or that is that kind of like too much? I think the problem you run into there is that QA can be really general and yeah, you don't know if you're hiring. I mean, if you're hiring specifically someone who has that art training and is going to be able to communicate those issues or know what to look out for, they have to be plugged into the the department itself and understand what's being built, how it's being built. And that can be challenging to understand, I think, from someone who isn't in the thick of it. I, ideally, we're all QAing our own work, looking at it in-game before we ship, and doing playtests. I think that's super important as well. Uh, I, I don't, I'm not as familiar with QA um, to really understand if being at the start of a project would be beneficial. I can imagine how it would be. And I'd love to see someone who is really heavily QA experienced give that kind of input because I would absolutely want to listen and find out if that could be useful. I, I would imagine finding usability issues and there's going to be a lot of art bugs at the beginning. So like all like every everything in game right now is that, that we have in terms of effects is very temporary. So that's going to be hard to be like, yeah, don't write bugs on, you know, this, this broken uh, shader or, or this broken effect quite yet, but it's also, yeah, that's going to be a balancing act. I don't, I, we already have a plan for that. I don't want to make sure, I want to make sure that there's not like a, a ton of Jira bugs that then I have to sift through to be like, oh yeah, we already have a plan for that. So. Right. Yeah. I'd probably cross some wires a little bit, but I think it would be an interesting process to see happen. But I, I totally agree. Like if you were to try that, they would have to spend, you know, if you were to break them up into teams, they would have to be able to specialize in the thing that they are focusing on, obviously. Like that would be, that's a huge critical component. Yeah. But QA is super valuable. I've, I've had only good experiences with the, with my fellow QA uh, departments. So. Well, cool. Thanks for indulging me on that, uh, <laughs> on that little exercise there. That was fun. Well, my pleasure. Hearing how you would go about doing, uh, doing that project on a, at a hypothetical level. That was cool. Um, any, any sort of advice for prospective VFX um, creators, artists 
who are maybe in school or maybe finished school trying to build up the portfolio? Um, you know, what, what, what's most important? What stands out to you with a VFX portfolio that really makes you be like, okay, we got to hire this person? You know, when, you, when you're creating a VFX portfolio, because the portfolio is also the thing that matters the most. It's not necessarily the experience you have. Of course, that's really helpful. I've seen people with no job experience get amazing positions because their portfolio is great. Look at other portfolios. Uh, VFX Apprentice also has a YouTube uh, video on portfolios, I believe. Jason Kaiser has some great, great resources with with uh, with portfolio building, but also uh, realtimevfx.com. You can find a lot of that too. I would say put your best work there. Uh, if if you, I see a lot of people who were either coming out of college or maybe doing stuff after college and putting their student work on their portfolio. And if you're applying to a place like Blizzard or, or I mean, anywhere, and you have a lot of student work that you're maybe like, ah, I was learning during this process. Uh, or if it was like after a tutorial, trust me, <laughs> we've done all the tutorials. We've seen all of that work because it, it comes out. Uh, alongside of us if if you see something that's like directly from a tutorial that stuff might get passed on unless it's your take on it and, and it's your polish but if it's like if it's if it looks exactly like some tutorial that that any effects artist has seen then that stuff usually doesn't fly really well so i would i would say put your own spin on it put your own flavor on it uh, make it yours if you are doing tutorial stuff but other than that, like put your best work on there. Focus on timing. Focusing on the basics is not a bad thing. I would rather see someone with like the best torch fire I've ever seen or just a really nice polished torch fire than a mediocre, like complicated suck in explosion, boom, twirly into a tornado with a bird flying. You know, like just something like that's overly complex. Then it's going to be whether or not like you, you get moved on to either an art test or, or, or just get passed on completely. Um, but focusing on, focusing on the basics is really, really important because you can also tell a lot from something as simple as a, you know, one single projectile and explosion. You can tell a lot about someone's timing. Uh, if they have a sense of timing, what they need to work on, uh, how are their textures? Did they paint those textures? Put stuff that you have painted. If you if you if you uh, submit a portfolio and and it's like something that's like from a texture library, explicitly say that because you might get yourself in a in a weird situation where you get hired onto a team. They're like, you know, we thought you could paint these amazing textures. Why is this not the case anymore? So I think just being fair to yourself and fair fair to the team that you're applying to and and putting your own work on there is really important too. But yeah, eventually like you 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 decide throwing your stuff, throwing your old stuff away or maybe hiding your student work. I have all that stuff hidden. I hid it like a year into my work cuz I that's what I needed to get my job and then after that I was like, "Oh, I have better stuff now." So I'm going to update my reel every few years and and make sure that I have the best stuff that I've had on there. Um yeah, eventually I mean my portfolio is not in a great spot either. It's it's like a lot a lot of like old work. I can't show anything from Blizzard yet because it's not released. So that stuff's all going to get updated eventually. 
Uh, and of course, the, the stuff at Lightforge will replace the stuff that I've done at older studios as well. So I also like to keep a real, I don't think a reel is as important now as it maybe used to be, but I generally stick to like a minute long reel um, with not very offensive music, just something very casual. Cause I, yeah. Yeah. Something that everybody will at least, you know, it's just, it's doing its job as a support piece. Yeah. I like to, I like to animate to yeah. my music. So I like to have stuff like pop up. It helps, it helps with the construction of the reel. I think. Uh, yeah. Editing to the music, I think is, is helpful. Make everything work harmoniously. I've seen some yeah. reels where people are doing, uh, especially when I was coming out of school where it was like heavy metal music or something really just like, and it's like, you're not putting any thought in how the music's working <laughs> exactly. with your, <laughs> what you've created is like heavy metal to like something, some fantasy world or something. Uh, yeah. Bright fantasy world, like some Zelda. stuff. like, this doesn't, this doesn't work. Last thing you want to do is make your hiring manager like rush to the mute button. So Jamal, thanks so much. Uh, this was super informative in a number of ways and um, really appreciate you stopping by and, and chatting with us. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. It's been a pleasure. All right, that's going to wrap up our show this week. We want to thank Jamal for being our guest. To find out more about Mudstack, head over to mudstack.com where you can follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and join our community on Discord. And of course, we want to thank you for listening. We'll see you next time on Clear as Mud.